Hello, everyone. Welcome to a special Comics Fondle podcast. This is a one-shot in comics parlance. Uh, this is Matt. I um, used to podcast with Andrew at Alan Smithy Podcast, which you can listen to old episodes of on uh, thestopbutton.com. And I occasionally contribute uh, comics reviews at Comics Fondle. Um, but I'll be taking the place of Vernon for Andrew's podcast hosting uh, duties in this installment because this is an all-providence uh, discussion. We're going to be talking extensively about Alan Moore and Jason Burroughs' series Providence, which is uh, based on the work of H.P. Lovecraft. It's a 12-issue limited series from Avatar Press. And Issue 9 literally just came out uh, a couple of days ago. We're recording this on Saturday, June 4th, 2016. So it's kind of the, uh, you know, last, if you want to put it into threes, it's the last of three acts in this uh, series. And, you know, Andrew and I have just been totally nuts over it. So we, you know, thought it might be fun to, to chat about Um so going back like months and months, Andrew, uh, when this thing, how did you, do you remember when you first heard about this series starting? I heard about Providence starting during some Alan Moore interview. Um, I, I feel like it was a year and a half before it even showed up because I'd forgotten about it. And there, it was, it's the anniversary of Lovecraft's first publication this year or something like that. Maybe. I think it would have... Um, yeah, there's something like that. It was anniversary. I was really excited about it. And it's... Well, it's going to be the 25th birthday would have been last year. That's probably what the occasion is. So... Oh, yeah. Started. It has been for a while. So, and it also, and it also is the uh, anniversary of his first short story, The Alchemist, being published. Thank you, Wikipedia. But, uh, yeah, so I, I read something about more talking about it. It might have been during all of those Neonomicon interviews before that even came out. Well, I don't, I don't think so because um, Neonomicon is uh, a Lovecraft-inspired series that ran a few years ago. Oh, wow. But- 2010. It was a long time ago. Okay. Yeah, this was, right. yeah. So this, yeah. you know, Providence was definitely not on Moore's mind when he was writing that. And, um, but I think, I think I heard about this first, uh, probably the same place you did in an interview having to do with, uh, crossed plus 100, which he also did for avatar press last year. And which was also a horror series. It's a spinoff of, um, Garth Ennis's post-apocalyptic survival horror series. And, you know, that, that, that was a great series. And, yeah, it's sort of like between those two things, it's like Alan Moore is really doing uh, amazing stuff with horror comics. And, um, yeah, I, uh, being a Lovecraft fan, I was looking forward to this, definitely. I don't think I... I think what I was expecting has kind of been what I've gotten, which is like uh, a lengthy travelogue through all kinds of different H.P. Uh, Lovecraft stories where he ties kind of ties them together into a uh, Lovecraft comics universe <laughs> within, <laughs> within one series. Um, 
But the funny thing about that is that, like, that's something that Lovecraft did, and one of the ways that he was uh, innovative as a popular fiction writer was he kept referring to, like, uh, Arkham, Massachusetts, this fictional town, and the Miskatonic University that's there, and characters in unrelated stories would reference these things, and characters in unrelated stories would reference these elder god characters like Cthulhu and Yogg-Sothoth and... You know, it's it's uh, you know Stephen King certainly took that idea and ran with it throughout all of uh, all of his books. But, anyways, yeah, Alan Moore just you know does that, and then um, it's kind of developed into some. I think it might be developing into something a little more kind of uh, fourth wall breaking and heady um, by the time it concludes. But that's sort of the exciting thing about the series is that. Um, it's not wildly unpredictable, but it does feel like it's building up to something surprising to the reader. I get, I keep comparing it in my own mind to Watchmen because that was also this very, um, you know, rule breaking 12 issue limited series where certainly it's like breaking the rules of the genre by the first issue. But by the end, it, it takes that even further than you thought possible and if Providence breaks the rules in any regard, I guess it's in the fact that it's satirizing Lovecraft. It's not only an homage. It's also satirizing uh, his conventions in the sense that the protagonist is blissfully unaware of all the supernatural things that are happening, much the way that many Lovecraft protagonists are. And then it's also culturally satirical because the protagonist is gay and Jewish and he has to hide those things. And um, Moore is expanding on themes around xenophobia and culture and genetics and all these kind of, and racism and all these kind of taboo topics and what he thinks uh, Lovecraft might have been saying about them through his fictions at the time, so it delivers on all that stuff. But you know, I think I think uh, there's still some surprises in store before before it concludes in the next few months. Yeah, it's so the ninth issue. So we now know that they are going to be released in arcs because um, that was the first thing everybody said about the book when you started reading it was how are they ever going to collect this. Because of the um, the commonplace book at the back, which yeah, is... Yeah, the back matter. Yeah, and I mean, more takes back matter, sort of this... Um, I actually spent 20 minutes figuring out what it is, and it's starting with the second issue, um, 35% of the comic is back matter. Right, meaning um, the main character's journal, actually. And, and his handwritten journal. His, yeah, his handwritten journal. And I, I can't, I was, this time reading it, I was wondering about the font. I don't know why I was thinking about fonts, but for the first time I was like, they, they clearly um, got a pretty good font for it because there's not, repeti- there's not noticeable repetition in the cursive or it's not a cursive, but, but the, uh, there's also in the first few issues, there are these pamphlets from the, the sort of universe of oh yeah yeah, yeah. he picks up uh, pamphlets from a church and there's like a couple of other non-journal things most of it is his journals but then um, there are some other elements and yeah uh, and what Watchmen did this uh, as well they would show yeah you, you and know, it's um... pamphlets and flyers and and uh, 
the famously the uh, the pirate comics that the characters were reading in the series. It 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 helps you bring bring you into that into the world a lot, and it's great. Yeah, and okay, so I guess let's talk about Jason Burroughs real quick. Um, this is more Jason the Jason Burroughs Avatar, um, Alan Moore. Lovecraft universe didn't start so much with Alan Moore as it did with, um, he licensed a short story to them, uh, back in 2000 and what? This is the beginning of Neonomicon. No, right? no, no, no. Courtyard. Cause Neonomicon's oh. a sequel oh, okay. to Courtyard. Yeah. Oh yeah. You're right. I, I think of them as the same because, um, they were, re- they've been printed together, uh, yeah. in, in trade paperbacks okay. and they're, and they are connected as part of the same story, but yeah, it was the courtyard was a two issue Alan Moore prose story based on Lovecraft that they adapted to a comic that Jason Burroughs drew. And then right Moore did a, I think four issue series called yep. Neonomicon that followed up on the, on the plot line from. Courtyard. Yeah. Rather surprisingly, it just sort of showed up um, seven years later. And Neonomicon was really impressive because it was more sort of doing pulp um, in a way that you hadn't seen him do in a while um, because this had been this sort of period where he was uh, breaking up with DC. He was trying to get uh, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen 3 off the ground. He was probably working on his novel, um, Lost Girls was published in 2006. Uh, but so Burroughs did this this comic in 2003, and then he came back and uh, drew Neonomicon. And I was looking through it last night, and just... it The art in Providence is so good, um, so precise, that it, it made me... F- I forgot that Burroughs wasn't always that good. <laughs> yes, oh. he's he's gotten better for sure. Yeah, um, but I, I know exactly what you mean because I I had not read Courtyard or Neonomicon prior to beginning Providence. I think I read Pro, uh, Courtyard and Neonomicon in one sitting um, between Providence issues four and five. I want to say so, like. Issue four is the uh, the the Wheatleys uh, the Waitleys issue, and then uh, number five is when he gets to Providence's analog for Arkham and meets uh, Hector North and um, uh, oh and that was like the witch the dreams in the witch house issue. So like between those two issues, I, I read uh, Neonomicon and Courtyard, and yeah, it was it was really kind of disappointing well on two levels one the art is not as good no but also the writing is not as good no and neonomicon was just neonomicon was just kind of superficial by comparison like it is it just it's pulpy like you said yeah is, is what it is it's a horror story i guess it's sort of um it didn't even really foreshadow crossed plus 100, which more did the first five or six issues of, uh, with a, with a big journal theme to it. And it was out of nowhere, this, this awesome Alan Moore doing, um, work for hire almost. 
Yeah. Um, and, ex- and coming up with like a really cool twist on uh, the sci-fi horror premise of the post-apocalypse. Yeah. And so, and then we got Providence and it's just, um, and I was disappointed too reading Neonomicon because Neonomicon takes place in the present day. Providence takes place in 1919, but they're set in the same world. And at the end of Neonomicon, um, it ends on this apocalyptic cliffhanger where, you know, H.P. Lovecraft's big, biggest star, Cthulhu, is apparently going to be, you know, returning to earth soon and destroying everything (laughs) it's like i'm thinking like oh that kind of takes the wind out of providence if i know where this this (laughs) it's all just leading to this you know i i can see providence breaking from that in some ways but that's right that's that's the thing is like yeah providence might actually kind of pull the rug out from that expectation and it's able to do that because of Lovecraftian ideas about time being a flat circle. And, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if um, we're kind of jumping ahead to our predictions for the yeah. conclusion of the series here. But I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, we're not in quote-unquote present day by issue 12. Yeah, it's very, um, especially with the introduction of Lovecraft in issue 8 and then issue 9 is a lot of time spent with him, but I, I want to go back to the, to, to the journal of the protagonist because that's the, the big secret of early Providence is that if you didn't read the back matter, you didn't actually get the story. Um, you, uh, you didn't know that the protagonist was gay. I mean, you might've been a little suspicious of things. And if you, we're thinking about the time period and the likelihood of a woman, uh, I don't know, knowing the protagonist's boss or something. So the whole issue sort of makes sense once you read the back matter. And then the back matter turns into trying with the second issue, because the second issue is the first time he, um, the first issue just has, he goes and meets this um, author because he's trying to fill in uh, the newspaper, a uh, story for the newspaper. And there's this strangely tender moment where this um, this author, his, land, his maid or his landlady, is his um, sexual partner, too. And it's just, it's just sort of just sad and, and lovely and very unexpected for more. It's, it's unexpected for... It, it doesn't feel like a horror comic at that point. It, well, no, it's, I mean, you know, the first issue is definitely just setting up a lot of things. Um, the only really creepy thing, and there's kind of like, I think maybe with the exception of the issue that just came out a few days ago, number nine, and and the first issue perhaps, uh, the other seven issues all kind of have one standout horror moment and the rest of it is all at building atmosphere and building character. Right. Um, but in the first issue, yeah, you know, obviously, first things first, they have to kind of set the scene and introduce you to the protagonist, Robert Black. Um, the creepy moment, though, is definitely 
when you find out how Robert Black's uh, boyfriend died by reading uh, the analog for The King in Yellow. And although I can't remember, does The King in Yellow exist in this version of reality? Yes. It, okay, um, right. Yeah, it does. And I think there's even a line The where... King in Yellow, as in the, Rob, the actual real Robert Chambers novel that is about a play called The King in Yellow, which if you read, you go insane and... In reality, this book was an inspiration for Lovecraft. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Let me just. Maybe now. Yes, he did. He, um, okay. There's, it's actually sort of the reveal at the end of the issue, uh, that wouldn't make much sense if you don't read the back matter is that Robert Black, uh, makes a comment because they're discussing without him identifying his lover, um, except as an acquaintance, how he, that he killed himself. And someone asked why he would do that, and Robert Black says because he maybe he read this essay, and that this essay is similar to The King in Black, or The King in Yellow. And, um, yeah, oh, so and then... You know, by the way, uh, <laughs> maybe now would be a good time to mention that we're going to spoil the shit out of this <laughs> Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, so by I have, the way... I have to assume if you're listening to this, you're probably a fan of the series anyway, and you found my setting the, you know, explaining what Providence is to be very redundant at the start. <laughs> so now's the time to say that, okay, we've said a, we've we've complimented the series and described it about as well as we can for anybody who isn't reading it. So if you want to go read it, please do. Um, we're going to assume from this point forward that everybody else has read all nine issues and just discuss it as fans. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So um, if you don't read the back matter, you don't understand why uh, Robert Black is so affected. I didn't – I'll be honest. There's one issue that I only read half the back matter, and I have reread this um, since in the Act 1 collection. So I have read all the back matter at this point, but I cannot remember. It was either issue two or issue three. I just got I just got tired, and I'm pretty sure it was the um, I'm pretty sure it was the church brochure in issue yeah, three. Yeah, that's that's issue three. Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure I did not read that because this time when I read it, it just sort of was the greatest thing ever. Because it's, <laughs> well, it's about it's, these fish it's really people fun. killing the meat, you know, the meat people. Like, it's awesome. And Robert Black's like, I don't really get it. Like, oh, what, what yeah. weird rituals they have out here. And, you're, and it's just like, it's yeah. he's such and a wonderful um, it's fool. A, yeah. And right, the right. other weird thing is, and I get that's what I keep forgetting to say about the back matter in the first one is he's a jerk. He's he's well, a mean person. You know what? You've mentioned that in some of your comics fondles posts, uh, comics fondle posts about reviewing the series, and that kind of took me aback because I didn't find he's so obli- cruel to the girl, ob- oblivious. Sure. Oh, no, he's um, so cruel to the girl. The okay, girl in his office. Yeah. Well, you know, he's going to be a little catty. Um, <laughs> it's to be expected. Outside of her, I don't think, and I haven't noticed him. Okay, that's, yeah, that's true. But I mean, he was. He's also, he he is also snobby to the, um, uh, apparently, guy who he picks up while he is staying in Arkham, I think. Oh, the guy in the motel, yes, and then. And who we don't see, but (laughs) only read about. 
and it's is just, apparently just kind of a himbo that he like has contempt for after he sleeps with him. <laughs> I mean, okay, so in the first issue, the back matter is only um, actually it's only four pages of the journal um, because there's a cover and then there's a front piece. And mm. so there's only four pages of the journal. So you just get, you know, you don't really know what Moore's going to do with it. And even for the next issue, there's only four pages of the journal and 10 pages is the uh, reprint of the, this history he buys when he's visiting this guy in Red Hook, which is also where uh, the courtyard. In the oh, United right. The second place. issue is mostly the history yeah. of the, uh, of the Kitab, AKA yeah. the, ne- the Necronomicon. And so, um, but the second issue, and oh, and, and the and the history of the Stella Sapient, of course. Yeah, who are the uh, secret society that we've just now had? You know, more like, oh, don't pay attention to them with issue nine, but we'll get to that. But it's also the first issue with the big horror moment where uh, Robert Black uh, goes down to the basement of this um, sort of writer that he's uh, visiting and he goes into the hole in the basement and he goes down and he discovers this underground world and a, uh, a fish and woman tries what appears to be an escaped fish woman tries to well, eat I think it. it's, I think it's Lilith essentially. Yeah. With, uh, according to the mythology of the story that it's based on the horror of red hook. So, um, it's just very, and that, that's my favorite uh, moment of the first, uh, second issue for sure. Is because it, it, it's really scary. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and by the way, it also starts. I don't know if this was in the first issue, and um, I didn't notice this on my own. It's a very subtle thing, but in scenes where Robert encounters the supernatural or uh, is perceiving the supernatural outside of reality, like the dream, like dream sequences mm-hmm. and things. Um, the panel borders are ramrod straight. Really? Yes, and I, I wouldn't have noticed this, but for uh, this really excellent fan site for Providence, which I'll plug now, um, because if you love this comic, then you can spend hours getting lost on this website. Uh, facts in the case of Alan Moore's Providence, located at uh, factsprovidence.wordpress.com. Um, it's a fan-sourced annotation database for the whole series, and not only will they explain all the little, the little historical references, like on the policeman's strike in Boston, as seen in issue seven, but they'll also fill in all the blanks for all the Lovecraft references and the, the little ones that you might not have caught, and also the little things that you might not catch, like these differences in the panel bordering, which is really clever. <sighs> Yeah, I'm looking at he's so, oh man. <laughs> that is yeah, amazing. Cuz I mean the, the panels are relatively straight otherwise. So I mean it's just it's so subtle. It's amazing. Um Yep. And that that's more to what you were saying about how this is sort of the watchman of horror is that it kind of he it, even though I was Intrigued by what he was saying, I felt like it was going to be more Neonomicon to some degree. I thought that it was going to be um, – I have never uh, – we're going to talk about this. I have never read any um, Lovecraft, but I always find myself liking um, authors and 
creators who do. So I, I was just expecting it to, I don't know. Um, well, you know, Neonomicon is real, a really unpleasant read. Yes. It's, it's very much, it's very much for like the, um, you know, no offense to Avatar because bless them for publishing this, but it is sort of, it is sort of for the lowest common denominator of Avatar readers. Like the focus is really on the depravity and the death and, and there's certainly nothing like, you know, the tenderness in the, in the Providence's first issue about, um, uh, Robert's relationship with Lily. There's certainly none of that. So yeah, I mean, it is sort of nice right from the first issue of Providence to know that this is going to be a little more, a little, a little deeper than that. Yeah. And being impressed with Avatar is, you could get impressed with them initially with the first cross series to some degree. Um, and they are doing, they are letting Garth Ennis do some of his war stuff, but they've never really, they didn't really have any ambition toward literary horror. Um, this is, you know, the equivalent of, I don't know, Michael Bay's stupid uh, shingle making a really good movie in some ways that um, Avatar wanted to do explo- exploitation horror. They wanted to do a lot of gore. Um, that was kind of you know, the thing about yeah. them in the... Well, I mean, crossed uh, Badlands, the ongoing uh, monthly crossed title, must pay the bills, but if it pays the bills to let them do stuff like this, then right. you know, I'm perfectly fine with that. <laughs> so, um, issue two. And, you know, I... Oh, yeah. Well, what you were saying about not having read Lovecraft, I mean, I my familiarity with it, I'd read like a handful of the better known Lovecraft stories prior to this series, but I think like you probably more, I had more familiarity just from movies like reanimator and carpenters in the mouth of madness, which you recently reviewed on the stop button. Unfavorably, by the way. Unfavorably everyone. Very unfavorably. (laughs) Yeah. Um, but, you know, I mean, Moore talked about this in some of the promotional interviews, and this is one of the intriguing things, is him saying, like, putting his foot down and saying, we've become too comfortable with Lovecraft. <laughs> like, I myself have a Cthulhu, you know, squeak toy on my desk or whatever, but I want to make this stuff scary again. <laughs> and um, and he's succeeding with it. So... Yeah, but uh, continuing on, just you know, issue by issue, perhaps I, I I did want to talk to you about some favorite moments and stuff. Um, yeah, one of the one of the stories that I the more famous Lovecraft stories that I had read prior to starting Providence was um, Shadow over Innsmouth, which is the basis of the third issue. And um, you know, the third the third issue gives you a hint that something bigger, deeper, and more you know, relevant and scary is happening when Robert has dreams about Nazi gas chambers. Yeah. Uh, 15 years early. Um, yeah, because you know, it's so creepy that, and he's naked the entire time, I believe. (laughs) Oh yeah. No, the series never shies away from the full frontal. Um, yeah, but it's, it's so creepy and it's so, um, it's so much in tune with, 
Lovecraft's uh, interest in dreams and dreaming as being this kind of way of perceiving another uh, plane of existence that that coexists with our own, or you know, allowing people uh, preternatural sight, and um, you know, be, beyond that, I mean. I sort of find when I talk to people about Lovecraft, Shadow Over Innsmouth is one of those best known things, like probably num- right, number two right after Cthulhu for some reason. Mm-hmm. Um, so seeing the town full of fish people, it's like, you know, they're very, they're very, you know, eerily realized by Jason Burroughs, but it wasn't anything that, um, it wasn't anything too uh, unsettling. You know, what was kind of more unsettling, though, was the scene where he walks into a room and finds these strange characters who are looking over a, a table of glass bottles that apparently have, like, people's souls trapped in them. <laughs> because it's, it's such a creepy moment on its own, but it also clues you into, like, okay, these are clearly characters from another story from another Lovecraft story who just happened to be like passing through. So I felt like issue three was the point at which I was like, shit, I need to start doing my homework and like going back and reading all these Lovecraft <laughs> stories because otherwise I'm not going to get the full appreciation of the series. Yeah, that, um, and three also is where there's some, um, adorable tenderness, uh, unlikely as it might be with the, um, is he staying with the guy who's got the uh, voluptuous island girl wife? And um, so. What's tender about that? It, just the way the husband talks about her. It's just, like, I mean, it's like pervy. How, like how she, it's what, pervy. Like, does, like how she doesn't mind it in the mouth? Yeah, that's actually what I mean. I actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no was, island girl does. Um, yeah, all those half fish women. Well, yeah, but what's he, you know? Come on, he's three-quarters human at best. Um, Oh, and you know what? That issue three is – I hadn't read Neonomicon yet, so that was – I think that must have been the point for you because I remember you mentioned this in your um, Comics Fondle post that like, oh, he – they just went downstairs to the the rape room from uh, (laughs) Neonomicon. Yeah. So I was I was blissfully unaware of that, but that must have been like an oh shit moment for you. Yeah, well, it still might be one uh, for the series. Uh, if you've read Neonomicon, you know what we're talking about. If you don't, um, Alan Moore really pushes how unpleasant he can make things in that series. Um, it's anyway. Uh, we have not gotten anywhere near that in this, though. To some degree, uh, well, issue there is that five. Yes, there is uh, six. Six, I think you mean. Is the one with oh, the yes, terif- six. I'm sorry, Elspeth one- gets introduced in five. Yes, um, the, terif- the terrifying Elspeth rape scene. Uh, yes. So, but this issue has, um, at the end of the issue, um, this, in some ways, uh, Providence is very talking heads. Um, 
mm-hmm. or more like yeah. listening. It's it's more like Robert Black blissfully thinking about himself and his sex life and feeling sorry for himself. Um, and how could his lover do this to him, as we learned from reading the back matter? And ignoring uh, the fish people watching, apparently, the, the continental fish people swim to the islands uh, yeah. in a rite of passage. And it's just horrifying, uh, and you're, you're terrified, because even though, and obviously Moore's trying to do, uh, Moore's trying to um, make you identify whether you it's conscious or not with Robert Black, um, which is probably good since the pamphlet says the fish people want to eat you. Uh, it You get from the back matter, this issue, how unaware he is. And that's something in the previous issue you can go, okay, so maybe there was a gas leak. Maybe that is, you know, there's only the hint of Lilith yeah, having. In the, in the second issue, that is the first time something otherworldly and horrific happens. So you can forgive him rationalizing it. But by the, by the back matter of the third issue, you really realize like, Oh, okay. This is like the running joke. (laughs) He's he's just a dope. Yeah. He's, he's Mr. Magoo in the Lovecraft (laughs) universe. Oh, by George. (laughs) Some petting some tentacle monster on the head going, that's a good doggy. It's just, yeah. Oh, And it actually it it gets a little worse um, in some ways because the uh, sort of I guess this will be our segue into the fourth issue when he gets to the Wheatley Farm. Willard gets that he's an idiot, and Willard kind of wants to kill him. You can yeah, just tell that's, that's a great scene. <laughs> that is so great. I love I love when he I love when he goes. You know, I don't know it seems to me you don't even know who you are in all this. It's just yeah he. Um, and he's been getting warnings, but the thing is, is it's unclear. In the first issue, it is not clear. The sort of academic he visits in the first issue, the person he interviews. And each issue has that to some degree. Um, yeah. Well, the, I love I love when um, I think Alvarez is his name yeah. in, in the first issue, who, by the way, is an analog for um, the character in Cool Air. Uh yeah, I love I love his line when he says, you know, ominously, what would happen if our if the secrets we keep hidden were suddenly to be unearthed and shown to everyone? You know, what would any of us do? Um, because even though in the first issue he hasn't yet been literally going underground as a metaphor for secret things kept underground, like we'll be seeing in every issue after that. Um, it is sort of like through dialogue setting up that theme of buried secrets and the fact that, you know, the people at the New York Herald don't know that he's gay and all that. And so, yeah, in the, in the fourth issue, but the fourth issue is where we realize like, uh Oh, he's not just a tourist. Like he's got some part, he's got some part to play in this. Yeah. And so the Wheatley farm has the, um, so there's the secret society. Um, and Moore just has so much fun with it. He has so much fun with the bickering of the secret society and he dedicates yeah. so much time to it. And you don't know what to take from or what to expect because when you get to the Wheatley farm, then you find out it's these sort of inbred um, 
creepy human humans who tried to create Chithulu, maybe. And well, they're defend the we. I think they're called the Wheatleys in the yeah. comic. It's the, it's an analog to the Waitleys of the Dunwich Horror, okay. which was a story that I had read prior to the issue, so I was like familiar with it. And um, if you're familiar with it, it's really awesome anticipating getting to see uh, Willard Waitley, um, played played by um, play, played by uh, uh, <laughs> fucking Scott Bakula's sidekick. And That's who Dean Stockwell plays in that. Oh wow, I've got to yeah. watch it now. Awesome. Yeah, I'm, I'm alluding, of course, to the uh, American International version <laughs> of the Dunwich Horror. From 1968 or 69 or 70 or something, yeah, which I is mean, kind of a kind of a neat movie on its own merits. Obviously, pretty falls short as a Lovecraft adaptation for budgetary reasons and other things. But they actually do by the end of the movie they they do attempt to uh, show you the invisible monster on a rampage. The uh, <laughs> the other um, the other Waitley uh, Waitley son who is. You know, looks more like Yog Sothoth than uh, than his brother. Um, but yeah, like that was that was such a cool kind of like, and it's so creepy reward, reward for familiarity with the story that you're anticipating. Like, oh oh shit, Willard's out in the shed. <laughs> Robert, <laughs> Robert's Robert's gonna go meet him, and that that whole and that scene was sort of like the the horror sequence, the horror uh, centerpiece. Well, of that especially issue. because Willard is constructing a. Uh, tetrahedron from supergirl or something and <laughs> <laughs> right he's he's defying the known laws of, laws of physics and and he, he his his little country bumpkin comment on it on his work is there ain't that a beaut <laughs> oh and the, the photo the photo i think was one of those yeah. just there's a photo of willard and his brother and it's called the boys and it's him and the invisible monster and at that that's I guess the thing with issue four is kinda when you are just waiting to get to the back matter. Mm, yeah. Because yeah, you because wanna of... know what idiot thing Robert Black has to say about this. <laughs> right. And sh- and sure enough he's like, I saw this really lame gag photo in, in this guy's shed. <laughs> Where he was just goofing around, pretending to have his arm around this invisible thing. Oh, well. Yeah, there are these really creepy pictures. Like, clearly the dad, you know, bothered his own grandson. They're weird, those people. Well, he's like, you know, he's perceptive enough to realize that incest had happened in this farm, uh, you know, family. But, yeah, it's, well, I mean, individually, any one of... You know, these incidents could be rationalized, but from issue to issue, they keep stacking up, and Robert just can't... I mean, if anything, he's like the ultimate Lovecraft protagonist, because most Lovecraft protagonists spend the, spend the entirety of a Lovecraft story rationalizing just one, un, un, uh, you know, impossible, un, otherworldly thing, but Robert is seeing all of them. <laughs> And they're just fine. <laughs> yeah, and it doesn't matter how many of them he he runs across, he can rationalize each and every one of them. And, as, and you're as just they pile as they pile up. Yeah, and you're just waiting for the moment where he's gonna get it, and it's like in the next issue you think he's gonna get it, um when he gets to Manchester, which is the uh 
Is that the Arkham stand-in? It, mu- it is, because the university's there. Um, and he... There's the shooting star, or the uh, meteor. There's another meteor oh, right. landing. Yeah, of, so... Of uh, the color out of space. Yeah, and so... And the color out of space is a really great short story. Um, I think Lovecraft described it as his favorite, but... It's this really great, like, early sci-fi horror story, very innovative, where a meteor lands on a farm and, you know, melts into the soil, and then, like, the livestock start mutating, and the vegetation starts mutating, and the people all get, like, monstrous cancers, and it's, yeah, really ahead of its time stuff, but um, Providence takes that Providence, it's one of those stories that Providence just kind of, like, touches on to combine with something else. Yeah, and this is, um, he meets Elsbeth, who is a 13-and-a-half-year-old girl who goes to the university. Um, she's very smart, and she's the first character um, who isn't a himbo, uh, though the detective in the second issue is not really a himbo, um, that Robert likes. He He, you know... This this uh this series taught me to look out for green ties. It's a very useful tip, although I I'm sure no modern Robert Black is even aware of it. <laughs> oh, so so the issue introduces her. He goes to the university. He has to wait two weeks, which you're like, oh wow, or a week, and you're what's he gonna do? And that becomes important later because then he goes to rent this farmhouse and has horrific dreams that he can't seem to wake up from. Uh, dreams of his, the guy who drives him into town actually being a rant man who uh, suckles uh, a yeah. woman. Yeah. And, you know, I hadn't read the dreams in the witch house prior to, the, to that issue, but I did see um, the Stuart Gordon adaptation of it that he did for Masters of Horror on Showtime a few years back. And I don't even really remember it, but <laughs> I remembered enough to to know, like, okay, there's a witch and she has a rat familiar. Got, and they're invading this guy's dreams and making him go crazy. I remembered that much, which is all you really need. Right. Although, I mean... It's a simple enough setup that you don't even need that much familiarity to realize that that's what's going on. I mean, certainly by the time you see the rat suckling at uh, Hezekiah's teat in Robert's dream, you know full well what the horror is at hand. And so he runs from the farmhouse, and you think that, he, and he runs to the safety of um... Herbert West, of course, <laughs> and Herbert West's sidekick. Um... Oh, and I love that. I love that more read a homosexual relationship into that <laughs> because <laughs> because you know whether you've seen the movie Reanimator or you've read the short stories, it is like why is this guy sticking around Herbert West? Why is he wanting to? Ha- is it purely scientific curiosity? Like, oh, okay, it would actually make a lot more sense if they were lovers. Oh, I'm trying to think about that in the context of just having, I, I only saw reanimator since I started reading, reading Providence. Yeah. Um, well, I, I think, I think I basically like got in touch with you and said, yeah. 
Oh yeah. boy, Herbert West is in the yeah. Next and I was like, oh okay, I'll watch. Uh, yeah, I finally got around to it. Um, but then you expect the back matter to reveal all of you know his realizations that things are fucked up. And no, this is when he talks about how he spends like a week uh, screwing around with the himbo in the motel <laughs> yeah, before he yeah. goes to Arkham. Most of the back matter is set in between um, four and five, and then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, because that's, you know, because of the dreams in the witch house, he's losing all sense of time. So what else is he going to do but retreat into his own narcissism? So, um, by the way, uh, on the in the category of favorite moments, I loved the last page of issue four when uh, more actually. And this is where you realize, like, how deep the research went into this project more quotes, not from a Lovecraft story, but from a poem that Lovecraft wrote called The Ancient Track. And the last page before the back matter is like Robert, you know, off on the road to Arkham. Great Hope and Crosby movie, by the way, The Road to Arkham. <laughs> um, but he's, he's going down this creepy, you know, country road and the Lovecraft uh, quotations from the poem are, you know, there was no hand hold me back that night I found The Ancient Track. It, it's, it's a wonderful moment. It's just, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, it's, you know, it's the, it's the end of act one. Yeah. And having read it like that, it is. And, but I, I don't think we finished saying that um, at the beginning that trying to figure out how he's going to collect all this. Apparently it'll be collected in three acts to begin with. And then because avatar um, has got to realize what they've got here, they'll, they'll undoubtedly be a very expensive edition that yeah. uh, has extra features. Which has to be longer than Watchmen, right? Because you think Watchmen is also 12 issues. Yeah. The, the back matter of Providence ad, you know, makes it twice as long or something. Yeah. And how they're going to, pre- what they're going to do with the back matter. Um, well, I think that, I think they, you'd think more would insist that the back matter be included in order. Oh no, uh, it, it is in the other, um, in the four issue collection, I just mean, is there going to be any comment? Like, are the special features going to have anything about the back matter? Because I don't think there's going to be room for <laughs> any, any annotation in the complete Providence. <laughs> I, I just expect avatar to, to try and uh, get as much money out of uh, readers as possible with it. And, oh, sure. uh, yeah. Yeah. And there is starting in the mid two thousands, you know, there, there have been the Alan Moore books that you just do pay for, or even before that. Cause the from hell hardcover was very expensive, I believe. But anyway, so, uh, issue six, uh, continues in Manchester sort of with, the oh, can, I, can I mention one other favorite yes. moment? Um, you already mentioned it, uh, you know, the rat man familiar, uh, what's his name? Brown Jenkin, um, you know, driving Robert around, I love in the middle of one of those dreams when he uh, he says, you know, where I'm from, everyone's like me. And then he says, it's like a maze, isn't it? A maze with walls you can't see. And then by the last panel, he, he, he's repeating himself saying, where I'm from, everyone's like me. And you see his, you see his, you see his tail starting to creep up from the bottom of the panel. And then page, page turn reveal, he's woken up from yet another dream. Yeah. Oh. The dream is, I mean, if you ever, I don't know when this interview was from, but Moore has, it was an interview where Moore was complaining about the term uh, graphic novel. 
Mm-hmm. And he, I think it was that one where he was, he was saying, he was talking about the sort of reading time of a book, the writing time of a book and so on. And that's kind of one of the things I really think about with this is that he sort of is able to control your pace of reading with the tension. He's able to, um, it's almost like the crazier the issue is, the more he has to slow you down from getting to the back matter, especially starting with issue six. Now issue six is, uh, also in Manchester. It's when Robert finds out that he's actually been there a week. He was in the house for a week. Um, Herbert West, or Dr. North, I'm sorry, and James are very, well, Dr. North is a little weird. James is a little calmer. (laughs) But, uh, and then, of course, there's the, um, so he gets to see the book he's been trying to see for half the the comic now. But then um, the 13-and-a-half-year-old girl rapes him by revealing that she is her own father and that they have come across a way of sort of mind switching. Um, yeah. This is an instance where I sort of, my Lovecraft reading outside of Providence uh, matched perfectly because I, um, Elspeth, I can't remember what her real character's name is, but uh, the story that Elspeth comes from is called the thing on the doorstep. And I hadn't read it before issue five, so when Robert, <laughs> so when Robert meets her, it's like, yeah, you know something is off. You just don't know what. You think like uh, maybe she's a witch or something. So by the time I got to issue six and Robert meets up with her again, <laughs> I am like, uh oh. <laughs> now it, I'm scared. Now yeah. I'm scared for Robert. At this point, uh, there's still a way more could kill him and have the rest of the comic. Um, it gets more and more unlikely every issue because of the back matter. But, you know, who knows? You know, more could do permanent damage to Robert. Mm-hmm. And the uh, he's got to get it, right? He has got to understand um, that he doesn't understand the world um, after the rape scene. Cause he, he tries running out of Manchester. Oh he, yeah. There's like when he's, when he's running, there's like a turn page reveal of this really big panel. It's like a two thirds of the page panel of him running across, I think the bridge and there's lightning in the background. And it feels like this big moment, you know, and like his world is crumbling down now because there's no explaining this, right? But guess what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but he, do, he, but he doesn't let us down. Nope. Because uh, he can't. He just his, can't get it. In his denial, right? Right. He just nope. And so that leads to the next issue, which is the police riots in Boston. And at this point, you at this point you just are hoping that he has. Um, an interesting demise because so he, he finds the photographer from issue um, four. From four, right. He's Pickman, visiting the photographer. Who is, who is uh, Pickman of the story Pickman's model. And, and so 
yeah, and the story sure. Pikmin's model and the story Pikmin's model is essentially like issue seven is like a very straight adaptation of the short story, or not an adaptation, but it's it's kind of the whole issue is Pikmin's model. It's the idea that there's this artist who is actually using real monsters as his <laughs> as his figures of study, um, and uh, you know. The final panel of the issue is a photo of the monsters, and this is a photo that Alan Moore like went to a special effects make monster makeup company and had <laughs> professionally staged, and uh, purportedly joked that it was the most expensive comics panel in in history. <laughs> and it, there's a story to the photo. It's um, the monsters eating. Basically, or they're not eating them. They just are glory. Um, they're posing. They're posing after of, killing him. Of, and, by request of Pittman for a, for a painting. Right. And we've sort of been missing this character through the issue where, you know, it's somebody that Robert Black, I think, wants to talk to or something. There's there's he some did, yeah, he, build up he to He guides it. him through the riots and takes him to Pittman's. Okay, house. yes. And that, yeah. that comes up again later. So then, um, but the big part of the story is that uh, Pittman is sort of like, well, I'll just explain it all to you. So he takes Robert Black um, down some stairs and uh, tells him to sit down and a giant monster sort of comes out and gives an interview. Right. But, you know, Robert Black thinks it's all a dream. Yeah, he thinks he's being put into a, into a, into a trance and is having some kind of hypnotic and, past life regression kind of. Yeah, and session. it's just like when he talks to Pittman, he thinks that Pittman is just sort of the simp who can't. Um, well, he, he, he has respect for Pittman. But he does. He he's, but he thinks he's a hypnotist. Yeah. And no, it's it, well, his affect. He, he's worried that Pittman stutters. I, and that's in the text. But I sort of read that that Pittman just can't believe he's such an idiot. Like, oh, that's oh, that's funny. I don't think that's what it is, but that's funny. Okay, yeah, <laughs> just like you just can't. You could, you could definitely, but because because you do get that impression from Pittman, like from the expressions that Jason Burroughs draws him with, that like he's like, how much, how much should I just tell him? Yeah, should I just, just... <laughs> should I just tell this guy what's really going on? So, and you just yeah. So we've gotten to the point now where there's a certain level of comfort to it because King George doesn't, you know, take out Robert, you know, King George just. Yeah. And there's, there's Lovecraft characters that Robert encounters who mean him harm, but just through Providence, (laughs) um, don't like, you know, Herbert West is definitely going to try killing him and testing the reagent, but they happen to get a, you know, knock on the door at just the right moment. Right. And then there's people like Elspeth who are of the Stella Sapient and need him to fulfill his destiny. So they might hurt him, but they're not going to kill him. And And, uh, with King George, I guess it's just, I guess, I guess the ghouls are just, you know, genuinely benign about Robert. I, I didn't. I didn't get the impression that King George knew uh, that Robert is the redeemer or anything like that. Yeah, uh... it seemed. It seemed. 
I mean, I guess it was, I guess there was kind of, there was definitely like the element of danger in that scene and the fact that he gets up and approaches Robert, even though mm-hmm. Pigeon's asking him not to. But I, I guess, I guess what saves Robert in that scene is that the ghoul is respecting that this is a friend of Pittman's. Just, and Pittman and Pittman is going to bring them other victims like the policeman and stuff. So. Right. Yeah, it's um, that's one of the things that where how all this is going to tie together. Um, what is more? Uh, we'll, we'll get to that in a second because the next issue is uh, again in Boston, and it is where Lovecraft eventually appears. He has a very small role in it, um, right? And, and that's. That was so stunning because you are, I think, you know, I think from issue, well, in which issue is Lovecraft first mentioned by name? I don't think it's too late. I don't think that Moore says Lovecraft is going to be part of Providence. Yeah, you're right. You're right. And it's in, and it's in the opening scene where he's talking to uh, Randolph Carver. Yeah. And... Right, because I remember thinking, like, oh, this is Moore's way of, you know, quickly, quietly introducing the idea that Lovecraft does exist in the world of Providence and that uh, Robert's going to meet him eventually. And, I mean, as a reader, I think you're anticipating that possibility from, like, issue four by the time you realize that Robert is the redeemer and what does that mean. Um, but then he meets him in the very same issue. Yeah. It's really, it's really surprising. And, and it's it really surprising because if you're thinking of him as the redeemer, you're thinking like, if it's his destiny to meet with Lovecraft eventually, then he must meet Lovecraft in the last issue. That must be the climax, but it's not, it turns out. And it, um, it comes after this in, uh, extensive dream sequence where uh, Carver sort of explains um, the dream world to him. And this dream world can explain most of what you've, we've seen in the comics so far. Yeah, well, I mean, Carver kind of elucidates the idea that it's not so much that these monsters are from another planet as from they coexist with us. They are from the subconscious. And if the, if the two shall meet or if one replaces the other, that's the quote unquote apocalypse uh, that the Stella Sapient is interested in, not the end of the world, but the remaking of the world's, in the unconscious sort of yeah yeah i mean and incidentally i mean lovecraft did write like a novella and a few short stories um about randolph carter and his journey into the dreamlands and that's um where i draw the line as a consumer of fiction Because I'm a horror fan, and I'm not really into this kind of, like, trippy stuff as much. <laughs> but, you know, it's re- reading, a, reading a comic book about it is different, you know. Yeah. Getting, getting to see all this, all this stuff visualized like that. But, 
if it's just Lovecraft being weird and, and having flights <laughs> of fancy, that's really not as fun as Lovecraft being scary. And it's it's not scary. It is um and that is sort of the interesting thing is um so now we have to think about issue eight as the end of the second act, right? And so Lovecraft is coming in at the end of the second act. Um and it turns out he might have a big part in the third act, but it is sort of this calming it's somewhat calming. Um, oh, it's a very, it's a very like relatively sweet and calming issue. You know what it was exactly like? Um, Abby and Swamp Thing having their psychotropic yeah. uh, love issue after he's rescued her from hell. Yeah, and it's like you. It's can't... like okay, okay, everybody, let's just take a breath. Right, let's calm down a little bit. Um... The horror will resume next issue, but and for now. Yeah, and there's the, the play where we go through this lengthy play. Um, now, is that a Lovecraft reference? Because if it's not, I'm convinced it's a Thomas Pynchon reference. Um, um, are you talking about the uh, the writer who they go to see? Yes, they go to well, see. A... apparently that's a real guy. Okay, and but. Those, and those are real uh, stories <laughs> that he's reading from. You know, the uh, the milk the milkman at dawn and the. Okay. Uh, the queen's uh, guests that she drowns in a flood. Yeah, okay. those are those are real, and that evidently was a actual uh, public uh, reading that Lovecraft attended in real life. <laughs> so more is just sticking Robert Black in there. Yeah, um, uh, the the Thomas Pynchon thing is that in the Crying of Lot Forty Nine, there's a very lengthy um, play. Um, that the sort of takes over the novel for quite a while, I think over 30 pages. It's very complicated. It's called The Courier's Tragedy, and it ends with a quote that later becomes important. It just seemed like more taking – he's already had the sort of money moments with the Dreamlands, and so then he has this, this big um, sort of – tangent before bringing Lovecraft in and and yeah I mean it's sort of I guess it's sort of to build suspense yeah time is calming you because um like the first page of that sequence is Robert finding a seat and Carter saying oh by the way that guy over there that's Lovecraft yeah and there's no there's no promise that Lovecraft's going to come into the story um past that yeah and then for a page it's the author's uh reading of his plays and then on the next page um robert's introducing himself and then the the horror scene it's a very short one but it's chilling the horror scene of that issue is that their meeting is being viewed across space and time by the stella sapient <laughs> including Johnny Carcosa's mom at the church from Neonomicon, which is also the church of um, issue number two. Yeah, so, which, yeah. And and Johnny Carcosa's mom is in issue number nine, so it's like, who thought that she was so important, right? Is she more important than Johnny Carcosa? It seems like it. Yeah, and there's no there's no reference to that. She just sort of appears. Um, I mean, in Neonomicon, she just like what? She just 
commit suicide when the feds are knocking at the door. That's it. That's all we see her do. So I'm a little, I'm very curious about that. And is that the first major reference there's been to um, Neonomicon besides well, I, the visual I, stuff? No, I think in the same issue, pretty sure it's the same issues, Back Matter, Robert refers to seeing the protagonist from Neonomicon, the girl who winds up pregnant with Cthulhu in a dream. Okay. He said he, he's describing one of his dreams and saying, like, I was crossing this bridge and I ran into this pregnant woman. And she said, you know, that hotel you, you stayed at in, uh, in Innsmouth, I had the same view from that hotel room. Yeah. Or, you know, I don't remember if it was Innsmouth, but it's the, no, I think it is. I think it's the hotel that he stays at in issue three. And it's it's very weird because there's no it's weird to sort of ref so closely reference this many issues in um, something so pulpy I guess is because I mean this is a very Providence is very, very classy. I mean, <laughs> I mean, there's no, I, I want to see his script from it at, just out of curiosity because it's just sort of the precision of the panels, not just the perspective that they're told from. Um, the perspective. Yeah, it's, hard, it's hard to find a love, um, Alan Moore scripts, by the way. Um, <laughs> last year, uh, the script for The Killing Joke surfaced, and you read that, and you realize like how much effort he puts into the script yeah. writing process uh, and how meticulous he is about what's in the panel and from what angle. Exactly, and it's like if, some, if, if we hear sometime that he and Jason Burroughs did come up with this idea in 2010, and it just took Burroughs four years to get his art artistry up that I believe that <laughs> I mean, because he asks so much from Burroughs, not just in the terms of content, but in the terms of how um, he's presenting the story, um, which then brings us to issue nine, because there are some interesting um, first person shots Um yeah. Yeah. Well, so this, that, this was kind of the surprise of issue nine is that it, it, it has the story. Well, there's two stories that it heavily references. Three. Okay. What it is is that the doctor from from beyond uh, is at the beginning of the issue, and he provides like the glimp the the monsters of the issue, kind of the horror scenes, except that they're not ex- they're not really horrific. I, they're they're horrific but not terrifying. You're just seeing monsters floating around. They're not un- dangerous. There's which no, is uncanny, but yeah. there's no danger. Um, and it happens right at the start of the issue, and then he's gone. Um, and then Robert meets uh, Charles Dexter Ward, and they wind up in the church from the Haunter of the Dark. But. Actually, most of the focus of the issue is, like you said, him walking and talking with Lovecraft. Right, after after he has sex with the 17-year-old boy. Oh. Yeah. 
And uh, Charles, Charles Dexter Ward is not a story that I've read yet. Okay. Although I kind of know generally what happens in it. And um, I think much like uh, Elspeth from issues five to six, we're going to see Charles return okay. the, next, the next issue in a, in a more dangerous context. Okay. Um, but actually, I mean, and this is kind of where I have to start not spoiling it too much for you, but I have read, I have read the Haunter of the Dark and, um, the Haunter of the Dark, uh, well, let's, let's just say the main character of Haunter of the Dark, uh, goes by the name of Robert Blake. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> Which, so, um, yeah, I think next, uh, next issue is probably the one I'm anticipating most because I don't know what the hell's going to happen between now and issue 12. Um, I, if Robert dies in this series, I don't think he's just going to disappear. I think he is going to kind of transcend the boundaries of time and space. And we're going to like see his energy visiting modern day times or, okay. what, or something like that. Um, but if he lives through issue 12, um, <laughs> I'd be real surprised. I mean, you know, we keep saying this over and over, but I'd be real surprised if he hasn't wised up a little bit after <laughs> next issue. <laughs> so, yeah, so he, he, the other thing is uh, then most of the issue is just him hanging out with Lovecraft. He's in Providence now. Um, we finally get there. The issue opens with a full-page map of the book. Or of the, the town. Um, mm-hmm. And so, or at least the digital one you get does. So, um, he's hanging out with Lovecraft. They're walking around town. And doesn't Lovecraft seem uh, a little more unhinged in this issue than he did in the last yes, one? Yes, he seems like an annoying... I mean, it's just... <laughs> precocious might be the, the kind well, of Okay, word. yeah, he seems like a precocious... He seems like a, an obnoxious eight-year-old. He makes up nicknames for everyone. He, he speaks uh, in ye olde English a little bit. Yeah, and... Um, then he goes, he takes Robert to visit his mother, but Robert doesn't get to meet the mother because she's in an insane asylum. And right. so. Because what happened to her is what happened to Leticia Waitley <laughs> back in issue four. And um, we, uh, in the distance, uh, Robert is waiting for Lovecraft. Um, and so he, he's sort of hearing it. Uh, it's unclear how much attention he's paying. He certainly should be paying more attention because she's telling, uh, the mother's telling Lovecraft he's an idiot and he needs to wise up. The mother, it turns out, it can probably see the, um, interdimensional, the violet creatures as well. And you're sort of left with this, this sense, um, that I said, that Lovecraft can imagine all these things but can't see them, whereas Black and uh, Robert can see all these things but not imagine them. 
and it's they're, they're like two halves of the same uh, coin. Yeah, and um, you know, much, much like um, much like he really should have wised up to what was happening to him after issue six. Um, this is like the issue where you realize that he's not a good journalist <laughs> because, because literally at the beginning of the issue, um, the from beyond guy is telling him that the Stella Sapient attempted, uh, the birth of a redeemer through an arranged marriage in 1898 or whatever it is. And then literally at the end of the issue, Lovecraft is saying like, you know, oh yeah, so my parents got married in 1898. You know, I mean, from beyond guys even saying like, you know, it was an arranged marriage uh, with a gentleman who, you know, worked in uh, metals and minerals. And Lovecraft (laughs) is saying like, yeah, my dad was in gold and silver. (laughs) And then, and then if he is, and you know, we assume that he is, audibly hearing Lovecraft's mom at the end and she's saying, you know, you are their monster. <laughs> like, put it together, Robert. Yeah. It's, um... Because even if you don't believe in any of this supernatural stuff, what? this is clearly, there's clearly a connection between Lovecraft and the Stella Sapient. But then you get to the back matter, and he's just like, "Oh, they're they're not creepy like the Wheatleys made them sound. They're really great. <laughs> they're just you yeah." Know. He's sort of like he's sort of taken with uh, uh, Tillinghast, I think is the name. His uh, his eccentricity, his cool sunglasses. It's yeah. It's just he's such a oblivious dope, and so. How he's going to? Well, I mean, and and Neonomicon talks a bit about um, Lovecraft's work and how. Well, like the big difference between Neonomicon and um, Providence is that Neonomicon is modern day, and people are talking Lovecraft left and right, and it's sort of a more it's sort of a simpler story because it's saying what if Lovecraft stories were based on reality and there was a cult that, mm-hmm. that worshiped those gods, but then Providence is winding it back and saying like, how did Lovecraft find out about all this? Right. And it's not even that he had to find out about it to start writing. That's one of the really interesting things is that, by the time Prob- by the time Robert meets Lovecraft, he's already written his first few short stories, even ones about you know the fish monster gods of uh, of, Dag- of Dagon and Shadow over Innsmouth. Yeah, and um, that's not was- in the courtyard. He- so that's another really interesting yeah. thing um, to mention is that Lovecraft exists in the Anomicon, but Lovecraft. There's no mention of him in the courtyard. Um, it's just, and and just in terms of that, it's so weird to see um, more doing this sort of. I guess I I didn't take his avatar 
licenses or adaptations seriously. I mean, the courtyards, courtyard, the courtyard is really creepy, um, and the courtyard is really. Uh, I dis- like I like the courtyard a lot more than Neonomicon. Really? Wow. Yeah, I just I, I just it, love I the fishman. Oh well, that's great too. But I mean, I think I think courtyard works much better as just like a short story. It and, does, yeah. And Neon- Neonomicon feels like something that was sort of stretched out to fill four issues. Yeah. Um, and also, Courtyard is a little more enigmatic in terms of creating a mystery uh, in a Lovecraftian style than, you know, there's no, like, action sequence with people getting their heads blown off like there is in Neonomicon. <laughs> oh, but, you know, but you know what was kind of shocking about reading Neonomicon between issues four and five of Providence is that it's blatantly showing, um, you know, a fishman monster just kind of there, like, in all his naked glory, whereas Providence is very deliberate about showing you as little as possible of the monsters. Well, it's unclear what the... I mean, the monster... Uh, up, 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 up to a point. I mean, Up to you a know, point. I just... I, yeah, I'm... I think... I think issue seven might be the first time we get a really sustained scene with a otherworldly creature like the, you know... Pittman ghouls. Yeah. And I think that having read Neonomicon, um, getting to uh, the fish people, I was just sort of waiting for, you know, the, the fish monster in Neonomicon looks like the creature from the Black Lagoon, only with um, an enormous penis. Uh, <laughs> It's an anatomically correct creature from the Black Lagoon. Um, and I just was waiting in, and I feel like Lilith showing up into um, sort of sets this idea that there are monsters down in the water. And so when um, he meets these weird fish people and he ends up in deep in the water, there is this expectation of some sort of, um, some sort of, fish monster and it's it's just very weird because the other thing is that these (sighs) well it's like when you think lovecraft and you think cthulhu tentacle monsters i mean providence is sort of like maybe because it's following neonomicon but it's sort of going out of its way not to get into the really far out outer space stuff um when it comes to elder gods and monsters and tentacled things i mean the only really Side of tentacled things we've seen is with this most recent issue, and they're just kind of like the, you know, natural aquatic look life looking things that you see at the bottom of the ocean in reality, compared to um, unthinkable things. Oh, and speaking of which, how cool was it that um, when we get a glimpse of Yog Sothith possessing uh, Wizard Waitley in issue four? that he's Yog sothith is visualized as like the spheres of the Kabbalah. <laughs> uh, more, that's what, that's, 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 <laughs> more knows his, uh, his more his knows his Kabbalah magic, uh, yeah, and his religious uh, history and things. And it's, in some yeah. ways it does. It actually seems like a far, uh, that's what I'm waiting for from this. Um, 
when you were talking about what we're going to get and how who knows what more is going to break with it is that and I'm trying not to get my hopes up too much because Prometheus sort of did the same thing. Well, this is yeah. I wanted to ask you about that or mention Prometheus because I haven't read. Oh wait, isn't it called Promethea? Promethea, yeah. I haven't read Promethea, but I've seen pages from it. Yeah. And I remember one of the pages I've seen from it is like two characters are kind of walking in the void of nothingness and talking about the process of creation. And as they're talking about the process of creation, they are literally moving from one panel to the next from sketch pencil outlines yeah. to, to inked outlines and their word balloons are forming. Yeah. It's... I'm, I'm kind of hoping Providence goes whole hog with <laughs> some, something totally fourth wall breaking like that. Yeah. It's, it's a lot. And I'm, that's what I'm wondering about with the, the commonplace book. Are we going to somehow see a merge of the two, but how can he do that? I don't, well, I know you hate uh, In the Mouth of Madness, but I think where the, it's almost like where this is leading is that is the suggestion that when enough people have read Lovecraft and when there are enough Lovecraft fans in the world, that's when uh, that that's when the the dreamlands can take over. We'll see. Um, that's not why I hate In the Mouth of Madness. Yeah. Okay. But I mean, plot. In terms of the plot, that that's like almost the vibe I got off of Providence. Not even by this point, like what? earlier even. I just hmm. – well, I guess I guess the reason I don't have that is because Moore had the chance to do that in Promethea and he didn't. Um, okay. So if he's not going to do it once, why is he going to – is he going to do – is he going to try to do it with this? And maybe he will um, because – that's sort of been the most impressive thing about um, the amount of work that has gone into Providence that you can tell not a lot of work went into Neonomicon. Neonomicon was Lovecraft mixed with the fish people or the um, undersea vampires. It it, it was a lot of very, um, it's very, it's very straightforward. Yeah. And it actually, what it does is it literalizes a lot of Lovecraft. Um, yeah. Graphically, but you know. Yeah. But Providence is speaking more to the stuff that Moore is really interested in. Yeah. Like the power of language and is magic just, you know, a byproduct of human communication. And, and you know... They're called spells, man, because you spell them with language. Give me, give me another hit of Aklo. Uh, I was wondering if Aklo is going to show up here. And I think that if Moore can teach us to speak Aklo, that will be... And that's is this, just... this going to... Will it be like when Paramount published the English to Klingon Dictionary? No, because it can't be like that. It can't be... We can't know that we're learning to speak Aklo. That's how That's how deep it's got to go. Because that's what was so disturbing about Courtyard and is so... The thing about Aklo and Courtyard is, I think, closer to the vibe of Providence than anything in Neonomicon. 
Well, yes, because, okay, so Neonomicon is, um, in the end, you find out that the world um, can and may come to an end through uh, somewhat through, through perceivable, um, if irrational, processes, right? There, The monster in the pool is really, it is just the gill man with um, an enormous penis, Right. Um, and it didn't have to be that way. Moore chose to literalize it that way. Um, and that's when his protagonist figures it out. And he actually, you know, he goes overboard in um, Providence, or in, I'm sorry, in Neonomicon, by removing the character's contact lenses. So she's actually unable to see what's going on, but the reader is. Um, so I, I think that's what I like so much about Neonomicon is that it's more playing with the comics format without leaving the Avatar um, sort of exploitation, even if it is the post-crossed, classier Avatar exploitation. Huh. Um, but then now we've gotten to Providence, and it's and but what's so creepy about the Courtyard is that. If you haven't read the courtyard, sorry. Uh, the the hero is the killer. I, I was oh, talking oh, to, sorry, I was to talking the, to the, the listener. listener. Yes. Okay. The hero oh. is the killer, and it's um, he it, it, he's rationalized it in a way that it, it's very uncomfortable how well it's rationalized, and Neonomicon rationalizes it um, even more. You know, it's it's a drawn-out rationalization that we're going to not just hint at all these awful things. We're going to show you all these awful things, and she still is able to rationalize them. She is the protagonist that Robert Black is not, in other words. Yeah. Um, so now, as we're entering this act of, of providence and the mom from Neonomicon, who actually is only a dead body in Neonomicon. I just looked. Right. Um, oh, only ever? She never, That's right, they find her dead. They find her dead. Yeah, and, and her identification is in passing. She's in a couple panels in the first two issues. Yeah, it's, it's so a, odd. Yeah. Uh, well, um, the previews of issue alternate issue covers of uh, Providence number 10 do have, uh, one of them does have Johnny Carcosa on it. We might be seeing Carcosa's return as soon as the next issue. Um, and the thing about, the odd, the odd thing about issue nine is that you know, the, the the regular covers are so great because they go with the theme of, like, edifices and buildings and locations, and it's kind of like speaking to the idea of the horror under the surface and Lovecraft's focus on atmospherics more than uh, anything else in terms of crafting his stories. Um the house on the cover of Providence 9 is from the story The Shunned House. And as soon as I learned that from um, factsprovidence.wordpress.com, I did my homework and I read The Shunned House. And it's not 
a part of the issue. They literally just walk past the house. <laughs> and I'm thinking, what the fuck? <laughs> I feel like he did. There was one other cover. Was that was that was, like that, a, that was that a deliberate fake out? Because I don't think there's been any other anything else like that. Oh, I think, hold on, I think, let I think me look. Other, I think every other issue has delivered on you know showing you the story that the cover hints at. Okay, so we've got the house he visits on the first issue. We've got the church on the second issue. Third issue, I think, is, is the town. We have the, the quaint little town. Fourth yep. issue is the farm. Yeah. Fifth, Fifth issue, issue. Well, the university. Is that the university? Yeah. yeah, okay. Let's say the university is a little bit of a stretch, but issue six does have that really important scene where he reads the uh, the Book of the Stars, Halley's Book of Wisdom at the, at the university. Yep, and then issue... Um... Seven has the picture, or the painting, waiting to be painted. And then issue eight is uh, the Carver's office, basically. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, his sitting room. So, yeah, this is just... So, I don't know if that... I don't know how deliberate it was, or if they just thought that, you know, the shunned house would make a great cover. Because what else would they have... Well, okay, here's what I'm getting to. Um... The more important, the most important scene, or you know, a very important scene in Providence Nine is uh, Robert's escapade with the seventeen-year-old in the church, and the church adorns the cover of Providence Ten, which I think is appropriate because that you know, sort of like this is setting up uh, mm-hmm. for for uh, the Haunter of the Dark, uh, where that story kind of begins at the church. Um, I think I read an interview at some point, or it wasn't an interview. It was just like one of the press releases for Providence, uh, early on said that the issue, uh, it would be a 10 issue series. Oh, okay. I swear I read that at some point. So I think what happened, what may have happened is that they needed another couple of extra issues to wrap things up. And, something really critical might be happening to Robert in the next issue that Moore decided he needed another couple of issues to, to wrap up afterwards. Yeah. I mean, it's, I guess you could say it's the, just a shot of the town, but no, I mean, it's very, it's a very specific location. Oh, and not only that, um, the cover of Providence 10. Have you seen it, by the way? Have you seen, like, no, the Burroughs cover? Let me look. I actually yeah. have the page up. I just was looking at the double-page spread with the dragons. Yeah, check out their post for Providence 10. It's uh, it's a really creepy, high-angle shot of the church that we've already with seen. With a very nine. different-looking um, sort of... Well, wait, which is the... Because I don't know. I think that's an alternate. Um, that is the... Wait. Now they the got reg- somebody doing weird pulp covers. Um, the regular cover of Providence Ten is a shot of. The okay, I see it now. I see it now. With right. a ominous silhouette <laughs> at the steps, and it's kind of a pepper potish shape. So I'm guessing it's supposed to be Carcosa's mom, which 
again makes me ask what the fuck is so oh and Carcosa's mom is in the church looking at Lovecraft she's staring out at Lovecraft as he's looking over the town or yeah and then it's what's the what's her deal well, and just having Carcosa on one of the alternate covers, I mean, it's just out of nowhere. And now I'm staring at him like, he kind of has a fish person's eyes. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I always assumed that underneath that uh, that napkin that he wears on his face had to have been a bunch of tentacles, right? Yeah. I think there's a hint at that during the dream sequence um, in with the Nazi. Is it with the Nazis where there's... Um, or no, it's it's when they go into the dreamland. Somebody has a tentacle face. Oh, the um, yeah, the, the train yard guy. Yeah, yeah. I think those are out of the um, Dream Quest novel uh, novella starring Randolph Carter. So I don't know if they're necessarily of the same. Well, but look, it's it's all it's Lovecraft. It's all tentacles. <laughs> tentacle tentacles everywhere. <sighs> I don't think they're they're of the same species, but you know, just because they have tentacles, yeah, and pl- and, plenty and, plenty of tentacles to go around, and, and plenty of um, just the the thing about in the way the dreamlands is explained, it even though what more does in the first, I'd say. Up to Elsbeth's explanation of the rape, actually. Um, and then it sort of is cemented with King George, is that there are, there's a sort of a rational, ex, not a rational, ex, well, there is a rational explanation, a historical rational explanation um, for all of this. I mean, the the rat familiar in some ways is the most magical thing um the fish people in the island you know that's that's um explainable um lilith down in the underworld is explainable it's a it's a creature of some sort the wheatley farm starts to bring in these these rational explanations to things the king george being um this physical creature that and the photograph sort of makes it seem just so real. But then the dreamlands, that, I don't want to say, it's almost like you can, if if Robert Black knew about the dreamlands the entire time, you can see him rationalizing these things. Um, well, that's, you know, one of the interesting things of that issue number eight is how nonplussed he is by the dreamlands experience. Um, you know, the average person then or now would be extremely weirded out, not just to have a lucid dream where they see all this stuff, but to have a shared lucid dream right. that, someone, that someone guided you into. I mean, that that's not an that's not part of the known scientific laws. So, but, but he's sort of, he's sort of been primed for it by all the other crazy shit that's been happening to him. So of course, yeah, not so weirded out by it. And then he sees King George in the dreamlands. And so you're like, Oh, 
these are connected somehow uh, carvers um, 700 steps into the dreamlands uh, are connected to the physical steps we presume in Boston uh, that that he he went down with Pittman. Yeah, I guess it's sort of suggesting that literally the un, the dreamlands are literally underground. Yeah, it's really really disturbing. It's like the dreamlands thing is more disturbing to the reader than it is to Robert. Like um, everything else. Like everything else, except that's in anticipation of. Um, sort of threat to him and promised gore because uh, we saw that in cross plus 100. I mean, more knows that he can. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, he can they tease sort of, us. Yeah. No cross 100, uh, that, that Alan Moore initial six issue arc really was just one long sustained suspense thing of like knowing that something bad is coming. And then, yeah. Um, much, and much like this. And so when King George says hi, um, and Robert doesn't really get it because he never saw King George, it just is this really, um, just this really creepy moment where you think about, I mean, it's very Lovecraftian, I guess would be the thing in that Moore is trying to find a way of using, making comic books as scary as, um, as something you read and imagine yourself, which is really cool. <laughs> I mean, in the end, uh, I think we, we've gotten to the point where everybody reads Providence is, is pretty confident that it's going to be um, one of Moore's excellent works. But it it is in some ways... He's he's still doing so much with the medium after I, I don't know if I'd say he took time off, but it's in a lot of ways it's his most ambitious thing because he is trying to he's trying to scare you in the same place he's trying to disturb you in the same places without the same tools, with different tools. He's not using Lovecraft's tools, he's using his. It, yeah. Well he's he's using his tools to achieve what Lovecraft achieved, which is not to scare you with monsters, but to get under your skin right? and make you sort of and cons- consider from an almost scientific standpoint, like what it would mean if these things were real. Yeah. And it's just, it's just so cool to see this from more, um, that, yeah. an avatar of all places. And, <laughs> and just going yeah. back and looking at it, it's almost like, it's, it's the other thing Alan Moore could be like. I, I told Jason Burroughs not to, to illustrate Neonomicon that well, so you wish. <laughs> I think you're I think you're perhaps uh, reading too much into it. Oh, maybe. Too much credit. But... I, I really doubt that Providence was uh, a glimmer in Moore's eye when he was putting. You I know, don't, you know, I don't know. He's been out, working on out the script to Neonomicon. He we worked on Jerusalem for fourteen years. What if? Exactly. He was too busy working on Jerusalem to, <laughs> to plan out Providence that far in advance. Which is also coming out uh, this year. So the other thing Moore could do is he could sell out completely and he could be like, oh, look, the the, the finale of Providence is part of my new novel. 
I, I would love to see him do something that cravenly commercial after all these years. He's got that movie series. Um, you can buy the box set. I keep seeing um, oh, I think yeah. sponsored tweets about it, for God's sake. So. I don't have much interest in that, but... No, no. Um, you know what else, though? I mean, in terms of what he's achieving with this series, um, I think the element of danger to it, part of part of that is that we, you know, from knowing Moore's previous works, we know that kind of anything can happen. Like, he could break the fourth wall, he could kill Robert before the end, um, we could jump ahead to modern times. We could, you know, just see all reality get turned on its ear. Anything is possible. Um, but part of the sense that anything is possible in this series comes from incorporating Lovecraft as a character. But not just that, but actually kind of like in an uncomfortable way. I mean, Lovecraft's mother actually was institutionalized. <laughs> That, that's that's real, and, and and he's incorporating it into a story about Lovecraft, which is like as well researched as any biography yeah. of Lovecraft, and also turning it into a Lovecraft story. And yeah, and that level of detail and work being put into it is, I think, and this that level of um, care for it started immediately, which I think was one of the most impressive things about Providence right off the bat was that he was, I mean, he could have done it as talking to Lovecraft characters in non-dangerous settings and gotten away with it. He could have done that. He could have done a tour of Lovecraft's work without doing anything more with it. And it would have been a great book still, but then just everything in, it's just, I just want to know when he came up with the idea of the commonplace book and how it was going to function. How yeah, we, when because he, it, it adds a, it adds a third, there's been, he's done comics before and I know other people must have tried comics before where you read the character, uh, the protagonist's journals and stuff, yeah. but maybe not in the way that Robert is oblivious, so you're getting this whole other dimension added to what you've already seen in the issue that sort of, like, is contradictory to it and makes you consider it from multiple angles. Yeah. It's, um... Yeah, I told and then, you, I, I'm and, sure... And, and, by the, and, by, and also, like, um, reading the Lovecraft stories is another... Angle you started doing that it. early on, though, right? I, I remember we talked on the first issue that you were gonna get, you were gonna start doing that, and yeah, I mean, I picked up the King in Yellow after yeah. issue one, and I never got around to reading it because I don't wanna <laughs> I don't wanna go crazy and like you know cut someone open and turn them into a flower or anything like that. But yeah, I, I did I did I did go to the used bookstore and pick up you know. The, the best of H.P. Lovecraft and sort of ticked off a list of um, right. ones I hadn't read. And then with the help of um, facts in the case of Providence, get a sense of what was coming and what I should, uh, what I should pre- be prepared for. And only with the shunned house have I been caught off guard <laughs> so far. 
Yeah. And of course, since it is the actual, I, I, I just went and looked at the blog. I'm sure you've seen that it might be the house. <laughs> that it's a, it's, it's a photo realistic rendering of. Oh yeah, no, uh, that's a real house. Yeah. At yeah. the corner of bridge and Elizabeth, presumably. Yeah, it's a. You Which can is, look at it on Google Maps. Yeah. yeah. Lovecraft did base, uh, did see the house, think, what a cool house, and <laughs> write a story set there from his own imagination. Yeah. Um, it's just so. I I guess the the closest comparison in terms of how. Um, authentic and deliberate more as being with history. And in this case, sort of literary um, criticism is uh, from hell. Cause he worked really hard on from hell mm. and league of extraordinary gentlemen. He did, he did work really hard on in some ways. This is kind of like that league of extraordinary gentlemen. Um, special that uh, I never read. Just, Which one? Uh, what is it? It's the one in between. Um, I don't know that he really did specials. I mean, there was, you know, volumes one and two of the original series. There was the Black Dossier. The Black Dossier is what I'm thinking of. Okay, but I mean, the Black Dossier is like a full-length work. It's not like a one-shot or anything or a spinoff. Is it? No. I mean, it's, I thought I it was just it, a collection of stuff. No, it's a full story, but okay. it, but but what it does have though is like it's not even back matter. It's like this giant kind of collection of stuff right smack dab in the middle of the story because the conceit is that Mina Harker has found this thing, this secret volume called the Black Dossier. Okay. And when she reads it in the middle of the story, we too read it as a comic within a comic. Okay. And he was also going to do a CD with that. Remember that? Or a record. Oh, wow. No. And it got, it got messed up because that was one of the things that really pissed him off with, um, um, DC. Was this something about like DC and wild, wild storm or America's best comics? Whatever. Yeah. It it was the nail in the coffin. Okay. The, the next nail in the coffin. Um, okay, cool. I'll have to. Yeah, I've just been Black you know, putting it off good. for 10 years. I mean, the other League of – I stopped following League of Extraordinary Gentlemen because I just realized that it, it didn't hold its charm for me after it moved beyond the Victorian era. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Black Dossier is a good read, and so is Century. Um, yeah. I, haven't, I haven't read the most recent Captain Nemo uh, spinoff adventures, but – you know, hey, Kevin uh, Kevin O'Neill drew them, so they got to be nice to look at at least. Yeah, it's it's just it's more has always pshawed his superhero legacy. Um, mm-hmm. He he did not, you know, everybody was sort of buying into the bullshit that he was going to come around and embrace Marvel reprinting Miracle Man. He didn't, (laughs) you know, um, he has had nothing nice to say about, uh, 
I mean, he's still, he's never had anything that I've read negative to say about Watchmen. On the other hand, Killing Joke, which are the two that DC just love propping him up with. Um, he's had, he's said that he thought Killing Joke was an imaginary story. He never intended it to be in continuity. And I think the latest thing he said was that he didn't really like it. Oh, no, I mean, he, he, I think, like, not long after it was published, he said, like, I don't consider this amongst my best work. Yeah, and it's just, and then, so to, this would be the first time, I guess, that you sort of see him assuming the position that comic readers and fans have bestowed on him. Um, he's, he's never had much interest in that. You know, it's like America's best comics was incredibly pulpy. Um, Prometheus, yeah, Tom Strong, all that stuff. Yeah, Tom Strong, um, Tomorrow Stories. Uh, top 10, for God's sake, is the greatest um, cop show ever. You know, like, <laughs> and S Max is this goofy thing with um, uh, Smurfs. You know, it's like. So From Hell, though, was a very serious work, but it, it came with very little fanfare. Um, yeah, and I guess I guess what the two have in common is that he wrote From Hell not for the average comics reader, whoever that is, but for people who were really seriously interested in the Jack the Ripper right. case. And Providence is written for people who are true blue Lovecraft fans. Right, and that's just, it's a very, it's a, it's a, is that a bigger market than Jack the Ripper aficionados? I'm um, gonna I'm gonna say yes. Is it a significantly bigger market? I'll say yes. You'll I say mean, yes. Yeah, I'll say yes to everything. I mean, mm -hmm. look, there's 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 more people who will pick up Providence because they hear the word Lovecraft than that's true. Who, okay, yes. Are pick and up also, anything. although to be fair, Jack the Ripper, I guess, has a true crime landmark case has you know waned in interest recently but at the time that it was published in the 80s from hell there was still kind of an interest in it and the other thing though is that um and just when you mentioned the dunwich horror there is this um sort of strange acknowledgement of the more um pulpy not pulpy, exploitative adaptations of Lovecraft, right? The cheap, uh, the, there's the one with him in, uh, crap, Boris Karloff and Nick Adams, the meteor. Oh yeah. Um, die monster die. Yeah. Die monster die. Like it, there's like a, a, a definite visual echo between these, um, these movies. Some, uh, sometimes. I mean, actually, with this most recent issue, I immediately thought of the Stuart Gordon from Beyond movie, just in the way yeah, that, you the, said, uh, yeah. that the ultraviolet monsters are visualized. And I think this might just be a result of the story, because I think in the story they do describe, like, you know, seeing the monsters in this pinkish purple light. But, um, you know, at, uh, in Stuart Gordon's From Beyond, you definitely have pinkish, purplish fish-like monsters swimming through the ether. Yeah. It's, um... I don't know if there's been too much else in the series that really smacks of, like, the 
the well, uh, more exploitation well, okay, version so... of Lovecraft. The G-Man. Although, although, I'll say this, though. I think even just the inclusion of Herbert West, a.k.a. Hector North, is a shout-out to Lovecraft and pop culture, because that's, besides Cthulhu, that's the best-known Lovecraft character in mainstream pop culture. And Lovecraft is on record as saying, much like Moore felt about Killing Joke, that reanimator was not his best work and was just kind of was just kind of pulpy exploitative work for hire this is this is why i want absolute providence i want and, i mean the thing is more is not more doesn't talk about himself he will talk about himself in interviews he doesn't do it you know, he he does not do a spontaneous a, commentary. But he did a really, really long "Ask Me Anything" kind of uh, interview on I think Goodreads dot com. Okay, it just goes on and on and on forever. It's like the longest more interview ever, and it's just fan questions. <laughs> I think that, I think it's Goodreads, uh, and it's like a Reddit AMA style thread. Okay, on, I think Goodreads dot com. Yeah, yeah. I just it's just. Um... It's just really cool. I mean, it's just the excitement around this book uh, built with the first two or three issues. Uh, Vernon, who I usually do the podcast with, he didn't read the back matter, at least for the first one, maybe for the first two. And I had to tell him to go back and read them. (laughs) And he's just like, oh, and it's just, I was like, no, you're not getting, you're not getting enough. You're not getting Everything that he's doing. And I mean, the whole thing with the common uh, place book is that you have to believe that Robert Black is taking the time out from his, you know, mental breakdown to write in this commonplace book. Um, It's just, it's just really cool. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And well, I mean, at the end of the day, that's all there is to say about it. Yeah. It's that's why we can talk for two hours about how great it is. And Um, it, yeah. Oh, so to kind of, you know, start winding down, uh, I thought it might be fun to make some predictions. We've kind of alluded as to possibilities for how we think it's going to end, but if you had to make your best guess as to how it things are going to go down. Okay, so issues, as of today, after having gone through and um did some uh made some notes on it uh the whole series last night, you know, I hadn't, I'll, 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 I hadn't made the Johnny Sarkoza mom connection until you mentioned it. So that totally changes where I'm at. But I, I just feel like, and of course, that Robert Black's analog probably wouldn't make it out of the next issue if Moore's. You don't have to spoil it, uh, but. Uh-huh. It suggests that, I don't know, I I sort of, how is, how is Lovecraft going to get all this knowledge that, um, Black has accrued, right? Right, because Black is the herald man, he is the messenger. Yeah, and... And it's, and the messenger is a scribe. That's part of the prophecy. So the commonplace book 
has to factor in somehow. Yeah. And so, and it's, it, and so the most graphic issue of Neonomicon was probably the fourth, third. Because, and, but the most graphic issue of Crossed was his last issue, right? Or was it the second yeah. last? So are we waiting for issue 12 where, I don't know, Lovecraft can get away with eating black alive for the whole <laughs> fucking issue. I don't think it's going to go gory. I don't think that's... Is there a Lovecraft story that involves that sort of cannibalism? Uh, no, that... Because okay. that's the thing about Lovecraft is like it's not blood and it's big well, ideas, no, but, not blood and guts. If there is a well, but what hasn't been done is the other thing is in the mountains of madness hasn't been done. Are we gonna have you know, mm. Antarctic monster dinosaurs? Like could he get away with that? <laughs> and of course he could. He's gonna, he's going to break the fourth wall and have Guillermo del Toro show up to talk about how he can't get his movie of at the mountains of madness off the ground. <laughs> okay, un- un- unlikely. Unlikely, but would we be surprised? I mean, it would it would be disappointing. It would be disappointing. Um Yeah, you know, speaking of like and the fun of anticipating what Lovecraft stories will come next. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, I wouldn't be Okay, I'm gonna, I'm going to predict, I'm going to guess that Cthulhu will show up by the end. Because after teasing him in Neonomicon, that feels like it feels like something that Moore would want to uh, follow through on, and I think he would want to follow through on it because although Cthulhu is like the Mickey Mouse of Lovecraft and sort of the the defanged Lovecraft monster, I think Moore feels like it would be an would I'm guessing Moore would feel like it would be an accomplishment to bring in Cthulhu and have him be truly frightening and not just, you know, Hey, it's Cthulhu. That feels like something he, he would want to do. Um, yeah. I mean, especially since in the, since the, um, courtyard sort of did kick off the, uh, mainstream consumption of Cthulhu starting with, uh, Hellboy used a lot of Cthulhu imagery in the movie that was not in the book, in the comic, uh, that Guillermo del Toro brought with it. And, I mean, even right now, we have um, Afterlife with Archie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> which has... <laughs> fucking, fucking Afterlife with Archie taking uh, the Cthulhu thunder from... from right, you know, and it, it makes me Providence wonder... Providence is happening. Exactly. So is, and it's, it, it's disturbing in afterlife with Archie, but it's not horrific. It's not, we're not going to go mad. Reading mm-hmm. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll incorporate, uh, the fourth wall stuff that I was mentioning before. I will predict that, uh, in the final issues of Providence, we will see, our reality become Lovecraftian reality, acknowledging the existence of Providence, the comic book, <laughs> and prov- and and thus, you know, 
the works of Lovecraft because Providence already takes place in a world where eventually there are Lovecraft novels on the shelves of bookstores and people are buying them. So my guess is that more takes a step outside of that and um, implicates the reader. I'm guessing, I'm guessing we're going to see Cthulhu. I'm guessing the reader will be implicated in some way uh, in the horror and um mm. actually all that's all that stuff aside um i think i think uh robert is due for a really awkward scene with lovecraft where lovecraft realizes he's a gay jew <laughs> because that is one because that is that is one of the that is one of the first things moore was talking about when he started doing interviews for, for this thing was like Oh yeah, Lovecraft hated Jews. He hated blacks. He hated immigrants. <laughs> like that is that is in fact one of the reasons he wanted to do this series. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's, address that stuff. I mean, Neonomicon touches on the fact that it, Lovecraft reads very racist, like, mm-hmm. and they were talking about it, and so yeah, I can see that. So, what if reading the commonplace book is the final key to bringing about? Oh yes, yeah. I mean, yeah. It, could, it could that that would be a convenient way to have that happen and mm. have the commonplace book fall into Lovecraft's hands, and you know that would be so perfect. I only hope Moore doesn't not do that because he feels like he's repeating himself with Rorschach's journal, winding up uh, in the incoming box at right the, at the New Frontiersman at the end of Watchmen. Well. And this also has, um, there's also Promethea um, connections that I was, when I was paging through the the annotation or the the facts in the case of uh, Alan Moore's Providence, their, their predictions uh, have been affected by their memories of Promethea or a reread of Promethea. So I don't know that, I mean, but I think we're also, uh, the back matter discusses um, sort of the place of literature a little bit. And I think it's in issue nine, uh, the latest issue, which had me thinking that he's not going to not play with, he's, yes, if he, whatever he does, I, I want him to turn the reader into a more active participant. And he tried yeah. doing that. In that's that's what I want. And that's what I very likely <laughs> will happen. As we sit around and, I mean, you know, because, because I mean, you know, it's sort of what's been happening already. Isn't it? By reading the back matter. Right. That and, That's brought the reader into the world of the story in such an intimate way already. Yeah. I, also, yeah. I'm just wondering. Is there going to, how big the surprise is going to be and when it's going to come? Is just, is Cthulhu going to be issue 12 or is he going to be issue? We already know what issue 10 is basically, uh, or you do. <laughs> well, but, you know what I think, I think if, if the story Haunter of the Dark goes down in issue 10, as written, mm-hmm. um, Robert 
Robert may not be dead. In all likelihood, he won't be. I think what's likely is that he'll something will happen to him that will almost bring him into the fold of the Dreamlands people, or however you want to characterize mm-hmm. them, thus allowing him to sort of step outside of time and reality and perhaps, you know, address the reader or travel to modern times, tie things together with Neonomicon over the last couple of issues. Um, and also, uh, I think, I think it's likely we'll see a reunion with Lily. There's gotta be something with that. Um, after having read the first, uh, four issues again, and especially looking at the dream. Yeah. There's gonna, especially the way the first issue is structured visually. Um, the, the comic opens with Lily. The comic opens with Lily, um, basically tearing up, um, a breakup letter, I believe. Right. From Rob. Yeah. So yeah. Well, but is it going to be a tender reunion? Uh, because regardless of whether or not fish women, uh, Island girls use their mouths, um, that, that there is a, there is a consistent tenderness throughout this. And it would be, a kind of a screw you to Lovecraft to have the gay couple be happy. Yeah. Good point. <laughs> so also, also I, I wouldn't, you know, although, uh, Lovecraft reading the keepsake, um, commonplace book would be a nice way to both find out about Robert's private life and, um, all the things that will hin- inspire his stories. I think it would perhaps be funnier if there were a three's company type of uh, scene where um, the 17 year old comes in and, you know, references the fact, <laughs> references the fact that he's circumcised. And then, and then Lovecraft is like, how does he know you're circumcised? Okay. So here's the other thing. Uh, the fish monster from uh, Neonomicon appeared circuit appeared to be circumcised. Could Robert turn out to be the fish monster? (laughs) We certainly... Wow, I hope not. Oh, boy. But but here's the thing. You're you're dreading this, but if it actually came to pass, you would love it. More would find a way, and that's sort of, you know... I think we first mentioned there was not much more we could say about the book, except that it was really cool about 25 minutes ago. <laughs> but that's kind of the thing is that, yeah. And it, kind of, kind of rough for Robert having to have sex with a human woman at that point. Yeah. Except the fish monster, you know, he did not seem that happy. You know, he was willing to sort of sacrifice himself in the end to get her out of there and, bring about his own death. And so he wouldn't witness the end of the, okay. We're, we're reading way too much. And in- <laughs> yeah, it's getting a little wacky now. Uh, we're, we're into the dreamlands. Uh, so yeah, I, I don't know. I'm since I am somewhat ignorant, um, especially since it turns out that Robert might be a Lovecraft character analog himself. I, I don't know. It'll, uh, I, I feel like he's got to get back to New York. There has to be. Oh, interesting. That never crossed my mind. 
that possibility? Well, he brought up Milwaukee today. He brought up, or not today, but he brought up, he brings up Milwaukee when he's sort of bonding with the 17 year old. Um, Hell, if the 17 year old turns out to be Elsbeth who just came to town to fuck with Robert. Um, No, I mean, I I know that the 17 year old is Charles Dexter Ward from the case of Charles Dexter Ward, which is a really, which is a really long Lovecraft novella. (laughs) So. It'll probably if I start now, it'll probably take me between now and issue ten to get through it all. Yeah, we have till August, which is somewhat on. Oh, sad. really? Yeah. Oh, you're right. Yeah, yeah. solicited for August. Huh. All right. Well, I guess I got plenty of time in that case. <laughs> so yeah, I I don't think we're ever going to come to a good wrap up. So I think we're going to say that we've talked about this for 130 minutes. All right. So all all you. Alan Moore fans and Providence fans, uh, you know, after you're done listening to this, go read as much Lovecraft as you can. (laughs) We'll all just, you know, eagerly anticipate uh, issue 10 together. And I think that's, I don't know. I mean, is that the success of the book that it is? I can't think of anything else quite like this that, we are going to have um, three volumes of Alan Moore in bookstores and libraries uh, available for purchase online. That is sort of a gateway drug into Lovecraft while being a sometimes negative um, read of Lovecraft as a writer and creator. Well, it's, it's three things, right? It's like, it's Lovecraft fan fiction, it's <laughs> Lovecraft biography, and it's Lovecraft literary theory. Right. And it's, yeah, and in and, and a fucking comic book. <laughs> like, And it's a comic book. Yeah, yeah it's, uh, it's just, it's a very exciting, and, and, and a very... And critically, it's Lovecraft fan fiction that's scary. It's not, it's not like, you know, public domain, let's team up Lovecraft with Nikola Tesla and make them Ghostbusters kind of fan fiction that's so common with him. Right. And it's not uh, sort of a cheap League of Extraordinary Gentlemen mm-hmm. approach to it, uh, a bastardized approach. Or Yeah, and it's not the fun but pulpy and superficial kind of Stuart Gordon stripe of Lovecraft adaptation either. Yeah, it's it's something it, it's important now and more work. We didn't think we were gonna get any more of that. Like Yeah, people right. Have been, people have been looking for it. They've been I mean From Hell was a long time ago. Like I read From Hell a long time ago. Well I think like the last major Alan Moore work um to me anyways, in my opinion, because I'm sure Lost Girls has, you know, hairy palmed admirers out there. But, yeah. Um, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, I think, was. And similarly, this is a celebration of and commentary on uh, on a, a literary work. And Promethea very well might be if you're into Kabbalah. Like, a lot. Like, Madonna might have loved it. <laughs> Hey, sure. joke. Uh, yeah, everybody go listen to the Alan Smithy podcast, uh, Best of, for jokes like that. Yeah, on, on days when when Madonna wants to pretend to be British, I'm sure she pulls out the Alan Moore comics. <laughs> uh, 
So, yeah. Uh, and if you did listen to all of this and you haven't read Providence, uh, you should. Right, sorry, for, right? sorry for all, we ruined sorry it for, for all you, spoilers. but you not really, really have, because um, a long time ago. This is the first book I've ever. This is the first limited series I've ever reread, um, just a portion of. Like when I read Act One, it, it's the first time I've ever done that. I, I don't. I wasn't old enough for Watchmen. Um, you know when Top Ten, Top Ten wasn't like this. Promethea wasn't like this. You know, the last 12 issues of Promethea might have been like this, but that was published somewhat regularly. But just sort of going back and discovering what you missed while the story is still in progress, this is a new experience for me. Cool. And it's, yeah, I mean, it's just because it's so damn layered and it's so damn... Yeah, myself, I like to I like to spread out the experience by reading the comic and then saving the back matter for oh, like a few wow. days later. That is discipline. <laughs> well, I mean, just well, it's it's not always okay. You know, a few days later, sometimes I, I can't help myself, but I, I usually let some time pass okay. between the two sections. No, I can't. I just, I mean, like plow, this issue, I'm just like, head. it's just like, did. He found the fucking asteroid, and his response to it, you know, it well, turns you know into a sex scene, and then you're like, well, did, and then it's so, on, it's, so like, creepy. Eh. it's so creepy, because even if you haven't read Haunter of the Dark, the series has been teasing the importance of this stone to the Stella Sapient, and so there's that panel, that there's that turn page reveal where they see it. And you notice how their eyes are kind of drawn a little bit differently on that page? It's almost like their eyes are, like, you know, glazed over or hollowed out or something. And it's like this really creepy, silent moment. And I guess in in almost a metaphor for the whole series, the importance of what's right in front of Robert's face is uh, pushed aside in favor of chasing tail. (laughs) (laughs) Like that, that scene it's in itself is just a metaphor for the whole series. Yes, and actually, um, I, I went back a couple pages and looked at another long shot, and yeah, they're definitely, and especially how Robert's uh, eyes are visible through his um, glasses there. That's not the way um, Burroughs draws him in, in such long shots, usually. It's just, yeah, it's just so... So good. And I, I, I did want to just say that the, the really impressive thing about Moore with this is that when you do know how much work he puts into the visual presentation and sort of coming up with that for the script is that this has got to be really fucking hard. Like, <laughs> this is really serious and hard. Like... Yeah, for it to be this good, yeah. Yeah, you like this is more really putting in the effort and giving it his all. This is yeah, this has got to be one of the. If he just comes out and is like, oh, "This is pretty," but he's doing other things right now. He's finishing uh, Jerusalem. He did that film series that out of the blue, yeah, or the something cinema, like and Cinema Purgatorio. He's doing Cinema Purgatorio, though he's only really. Well, he's like overseeing it. It's he's like overseeing more, it, yeah, and more it's just all to, to be juggling. Yeah, and it's so. Uh, 
if he just comes out and says, yeah, this was really fucking easy, guys. Just <laughs> That's like the perfect fuck you to Grant Morris. And he's like, yeah, what are you going to say, Grant? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I can't talk about Alan Moore without bashing Grant Morrison. It's just. Uh, that's funny. Yeah, Grant yeah. Morrison is like Alan Moore, except not as. <laughs> Not as talented, which you can't fault him for, because who is? But right. Also, also, like trying, trying way too hard. To trying be way too hard, with, like Alan Moore. Yeah, and to surpass. Yeah, it, to, but you to, know, to, Grant to exceed Moore. him, in, to exceed him in the weird magic of language uh, philosophy. But he just doesn't get it, you know. And it's just like so. Instead, he does. Yeah. If it ends with Grant Morrison, no, it wouldn't do that. Because Alan Moore. I mean, it's just. It's Alan Moore, so he's not going to do anything cheap. He's going to respect the story in a way that, yeah. You know what else is a bit creepy about that, or what's kind of striking about that sex scene in issue nine, is that the other sex scene of the series is that terrifying rape from issue six. And in issue nine, it's like this you know, loving tryst, but it's creepy that there's a stone, there's an evil stone from outer space. Oh yeah. And you found out that there's the book on the shelf and you're basically in the Stella sapiens, like library that's been abandoned. And he's like, how, how come nobody like, you know, they aren't protecting these things, you know? And yeah, (laughs) Mm -hmm. it's just, ah, he's, it it's that Robert Black is a himbo who thinks he's a uh, who thinks he's an intellectual. Well, he's like an upwardly mobile himbo. <laughs> you know, he did move to New York and get a job at a newspaper. He was, he was that clever and that smart. He's uh, just a Wisconsin farm boy, who, you know. Uh, so so good. Um, yeah, and we've been trying to wrap it up for ten minutes, and we just can't stop talking about it because. All right. Well. All right. So, I think that was yeah. That I think that observation was the last one that I I had in me. Okay. Everything else I wanted to say about this matter, I think I've said. So. All um, right. Yes. Let's uh, let's call it a day here. Um, this is uh, this has been a special one shot podcast for Comics Fondle, and. Uh, as I said at the beginning, um, you can I occasionally contribute reviews at Comics Fondle, although uh, Andrew, of course, handles the reviews of Providence. It is his site. Um, my site, where I've been doing a lot of cartooning lately, is sissylaughs.com. That's L-A-F-F-S-S-I-S-S-Y-L-A-F-F-S.com. And... Um, uh, do you want to plug anything else? Uh, no, I think I'm good. I'm probably going to watch From Beyond in a couple minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and then you can review it for the stop button. For the stop com, button, yeah. Um, your movie review site. Yeah, and so, I, who knows? Maybe we'll, I don't know if we'll be able to do a quick wrap-up of Providence before it ends. Maybe we should. We'll see if there's a response oh, we to could this. Have, yeah, we could have like a, a follow-up uh, wrap-up once yeah, I'm just done, but that's yeah. in the far-flung future. So we'll see. We don't know how long it'll be for them to finish those last issues. It's Alan Moore. He could do... Yeah, it's Providence 12.1 through 12.12. <laughs> yeah. If, if you did enjoy listening to this, uh, please leave us comments, and uh, we'd love to hear from you. 
And thanks for listening to our fanboyishness. So yes, this is the most fa- fanboyish I think we've been in quite a while. <laughs> yeah, for for a deserving piece of work. So, yes. Uh, for the Comics Fondle and the Comics Fondle podcast, this has been Matt. And this has been Andrew. And thanks for listening. Thank you.